What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be talking some transfer news. Uh, we're going to be discussing the links to Amadou Onana. Is he on his way to Arsenal? Is that a realistic prospect during this January window? If so, how can Arsenal afford it? And should they, if they can afford it, be prioritising another position? We're going to get into all of that on this live edition of the show. Don't go anywhere. Stay with me. Make sure you leave a like on the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on audio, well, why haven't you left us a review yet? If you have, thank you very much. If you haven't, head over there now and uh, do so. It really, really does help. So let's get into it then. Amadou Anana, is he on his way to Arsenal? <laughs> So reports emerged yesterday um, from a number of people. Uh, Sasha Tavalieri was the first journalist to break the story, uh, a Belgian football-based journalist who um, I've come across a few times, uh, never worked with him before or, or spoken to him directly. But when I say I've come across him, I've come across his work quite a bit. I know he's a regular on um, on Tom's uh, The Guna Talk TV um, so I've got no reason to to question the source or to doubt the source. However, I've been told this morning that there has been zero contact between Arsenal and Everton over the potential transfer of Amadou Anana during this window. Now, Arsenal have a long-standing interest in Amadou Anana. Um, you know, he's a player that's been linked with us before. He's a player that, according to various sources, Mikel Arteta admires and likes. But is there a chance that this deal gets done in January? Well, of course, there's a chance. But how big is that chance? Not very big, in my opinion. Um, based on the information I've had this morning, it doesn't look like Arsenal have made any official contact with Everton. Um, and, you know, it's it, it kind of goes in line with what we've been saying, actually, over the last few weeks, that until Arsenal move players on, until Arsenal are able to generate some funds, um, due to the profit and sustainability rules, they're not going to be able to drop down £50 million, pounds, um, which is what Everton supposedly want for Amadou Anana. Now, what are my thoughts on the player? Um, I don't think he is an elite-level midfielder. I think that he is someone who lacks in a couple of departments. I think physically he's fantastic. I think he's incredibly powerful, quick across the ground, very strong, has been in the Premier League uh, for a little while now, so knows it inside out, wouldn't need, you'd feel, that adaptation period. But in terms of his technical level, and I know Tom disagrees with this over on the Guna Talk TV because he he said as much on the show this morning, um, I don't think that his technical level is where it needs to be. Now, I accept that my benchmark in terms of what I require from a midfielder on the technical side of things is very high. So I look at Thomas Partey, I look at Jorginho, I look at um, 
you know, that that type of player. I don't even think that Declan Rice's technical level, this might be controversial, is of the very, very highest level. I think that Declan Rice is an incredibly gr great athlete, very strong, very powerful, can play a pass. Obviously, technically, he's very good. But is he at that elite, elite level in terms of his ability to break lines, his ability to... Um, you know, pick out passes, thread the ball through the eye of a needle. I don't think that's Declan Rice's game. I think that what Declan Rice does is a lot of those things in terms of carrying the ball and progressing it, but he does it in a different way. He uses his his frame, he uses his, his sort of powerful style to be able to carry the ball through the lines. And he just does it in a different way. Now, that's fine. But I think that one of the problems we've had, as I keep saying in recent weeks, is that we don't seem to be able to progress the ball through the lines quickly enough. And I think one of the re reasons that we created so much against Liverpool the other day was because we had Jorginho back in the side. Now, people would disagree with that. Um, people will say that that's not true or, um, you know, that I'm making too much of Jorginho's impact on that particular day. I think Thomas Partey is one of the best in the business at that. And I think that's why we've missed him so much. And that's why that despite sort of opportunities maybe to sell him in the summer, Mikel Arteta didn't want to let that happen. He wanted um, to try and keep a hold of him. You know, he wanted to try and keep him as part of the makeup of the squad. Now, unfortunately, that hasn't really worked out for us at the start of this season because of the injury problems that he's had. But that's what his value is. That's where his value is. Amadou Anana might be able to improve and develop in those particular areas, but is he on the same level as Partey and Jorginho in terms of his passing and uh, vision at this moment in time? I would argue that he's not. Now, what he does give you is physicality in an abundance. And maybe having an Amadou Anana alongside Declan Rice would give somebody like Martin Odegaard or Kai Havertz, if he's the one that plays as the most advanced midfielder, that little bit more license than they currently get because the balance will be better. The balance would mean that those players can do less work backwards and focus more on popping up in those pockets of space that we want to use, um, popping up in those pockets of space that, you know, we look to work the ball in nice and early. And that's a big part of how, as I say, we create chances and, uh, and create goal scoring opportunities. So, I'm not massively against the idea of signing uh, Amadou Anana, by the way. And I think actually in today's market, 45 to 50 million pounds isn't that bad. I think he's got a very good skill set. I just don't know if it's the skill set that Mikel Arteta specifically is looking for. So that's where I'm a little bit um, unsure as to A, whether this would be the right move, given that we're very limited in what we can do at the moment. And B, I've got serious doubts about whether this is actually going to happen or not anyway. Um, as I say, I was told this morning that there's been zero contact this window between Arsenal and Everton over the potential transfer of Amadou Anana. So there might well be an interest, you know, like we know there's an interest in Martin Zubimendi over at Real Sociedad, but we also know that the likelihood of that happening in January is minimal. So I don't want people to get carried away with this. I don't want people to get too excited about it. Now, if it did happen, which again, I'm not completely ruling out. I just don't think it's very likely. But if it did happen, the first question that people would ask is, well, how the hell are we affording this? You know, we constantly talk about how Arsenal are in a position right now where they need to be very, very careful due to the profit and sustainability rules. So how would they be able to go and do a £50 million deal? Well, we've seen Arsenal get creative. 
We've seen Arsenal get creative. We've seen Arsenal um, find different ways of doing deals. We've seen Arsenal, um, you know, doing loans with options or obligations to buy. Now, if you're a selling club, an obligation to to buy is what you want to put in there, isn't it? Because you want to guarantee your money. Um, I think that, you know, Arsenal will find a way to do deals, but there's there's a limit to what they can do, right? Like you're not going to go and get a £100 million player without putting anything down up front. You're not going to go and get a £75 million player without getting anything up, without putting down anything up front. The smaller or lower value deals are easier to kind of mold and sculpture into the way you want them. So, uh, yeah, I I think when people sit there and they go, and, and I know that this will be one of the real common responses that you get, it will be, well, if we've got £50 million to go and sign Amadou Anana, again, I don't think it's going to happen, just to be clear, but people will say, well, how, how, do, how are we being linked with this guy? How is that ongoing? How is that even a conversation? Yet, we need a striker and we we keep saying that we don't have the money to get one. Well, I think the answer to that is quite clear. I think, first of all, what top striker are you going to get for £50 million? The answer is nobody. I think that Arsenal are a side that are looking at the very, very elite level of striker and they will make a move to do that, I believe, in the summer. Maybe they're going to offload some players in January. They'll certainly offload some players in the summer and that will go some way in allowing Arsenal to be able to do that. I think, as I say, Arsenal can get creative and do something smart if it comes to a low-value deal. But then that means that you're very limited in the players that you can go out and sign. And I always say that the January window is one that is is one that is designed for opportunism or, or or thrives or works on opportunism. So for example, you know, you look at last last January, um, you know, we went and done a, and done some opportunistic deals to help us through. Um, that's what you do in in this window. I don't think that this is a window that many clubs factor into their planning too much. I mean you look at some of the other clubs, you look at Spurs, you know, they they want another centre back they're looking at Dragusin. Um, that looks like it's probably going to happen now. But he would have been someone that they would have identified with a view to the long term. And hey, if you can get it done in January, great, happy days. But the massive high value deals tend not to happen in January, really, because of how A, difficult they are to do. B, what I mentioned yesterday, which is that the window is really short and you're relying on not just agreeing a deal with that club, but in a lot of cases, them then finding a replacement and all the rest of it. I think with somebody like um, Amadou Anana, you know, Everton may be in a position where they have to sell because their financial situation isn't great either. We've seen them already punished. When it comes to somebody like, I don't know, Victor Osimen or, um, you know, Boniface or some of the other players that we're being linked with, you know, those clubs don't need to sell at this moment in time and probably won't sell at this moment in time. Those clubs are in a position where they can fend off the interest until the summer. So this is where I circle back to that point about, you know, opportunities coming up. Onana could be an opportunity because of Everton's situation. And that's why if Arsenal do go for it, they will be doing so. But, you know, it to me, like, I always think with a transfer, right, 
I always go to myself, the first thing is, where is it, has it come from? Where has the story come from? Um, and the stories come from Sasha Tavalieri, who is a good journalist. There's no question about that. He's reported that there's interest. He's reported that um, there is some kind of conversation going on. Now, that conversation could be between Arsenal and the players' representatives. That conversation could be going on via an intermediary. These things do happen in football. There's it, There's often talks that happen. It shouldn't really be that way, but it does happen before the clubs get involved. So my information that Arsenal haven't spoken to Everton yet could be true, but also the information that Sasha Tavalieri, I beg your pardon, is reporting, which is that there is something in this, could also be true too. This is not, let's shoot down someone else's report. I think it's one of those where the first thing I think about is, A, where did it come from, as I say, and I think it's come from a good place in terms of the source. B, does it make sense? Now, the reason I can't completely rule this out is because it does make sense. He's a player that we've been linked with before. He's a player that we've had interest in before. He's a player that is very highly regarded on the Premier League scene. He's someone that we know has all the physical qualities that you want in a midfielder. I still have question marks about certain elements of his game, as I've mentioned. But add to that the fact that I've been saying for quite a long time that Arsenal do need a midfielder. And actually, it does make quite a bit of sense. It does make quite a bit of sense. Um, and it makes sense because we are one Declan Rice injury away currently from being very weak in midfield. Now, I've talked about Jorginho and I, and I like Jorginho. I've always defended Jorginho. I've always backed Jorginho. I've always said that under the right circumstances with the right players alongside him, you will get the best out of him. You will allow his technical quality to shine through. But you take Declan Rice out of the equation, especially right now, with Thomas Partey out as well. There is no Granite Xhaka at the club anymore. And you have a very physically weak midfield. And so Onana would go some way in replacing the physicality that Rice brings, should he, touch wood, it doesn't happen, pick up an injury. And, and the physicality that Thomas Partey, when fit, brings to the team as well. Look, we need a midfield player and we will go and get a midfield player in the summer, I'm certain. The question is, is Onana the one that Arsenal are looking at with a view to the summer? And are they just simply exploring the possibility of doing the deal early? Is it a pivot in terms of what they want? I don't think it is. I think it is, um, uh, you know, it is one that they're going to look at because A, he's probably been a long-term target, but B, as Tom puts in the comments, it's an opportunistic buy if they do it because of Everton's financial crisis. Everton can't afford to have another mishap when it comes to the sustainability, profitability rules. They just can't. Look what's already happened to them. So, yeah, I, I mean, if I had to give this a, a percentage chance of happening, I would say that there is a 20% chance that Arsenal sign Amadou Anana in this window. And I only give it 20% because I know that Arsenal have looked at him in the past. But in terms of what we know right now, i.e. Arsenal need to release funds from somewhere to do this deal or they'd have to negotiate something with Everton. Now, Everton might not be totally opposed to that, by the way, to receiving the money further down the line because it might work for them in terms of their accounting, in terms of 
when that money goes through, when it shows on their books, et cetera, et cetera. Might buy them a bit of breathing space with the stadium and all the rest of it, because we know that's been a big resource drain on them. We know that they're receiving loans at the moment from their prospective new owners, by the way, who still haven't been ratified um, and confirmed by the Premier League, but they're receiving a loan because they need money. Now, is it easier to borrow money when you have a guarantee that X amount of money is coming in in the summer? Probably is. You could probably write it off against that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the intricacies of Everton's financial situation. All I'm simply saying is that to me, um, you know, that's why if it's going to happen, it could happen. And that's why if Arsenal are going to be able to negotiate some kind of structured deal, Everton may well be open to it. But in terms of whether or not this is 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 likely at this moment in time, I don't give it any more than a 20% chance. One in five. Because I just I just don't think Arsenal can do the type of business that they want to do in this window. And that's going to frustrate Mikel Arteta. It's going to frustrate the fans. No question about that. And, but, you know, you can't really win as Arsenal Football Club because we needed to spend the money that we spent over the last few years to get us back up to a level where we're competing. There was always going to be a consequence to that, though. There was always going to be a consequence because of the fact that we were buying, 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 buying and not selling for anything really of note. At some point, this was always going to be an issue. And I think we have to accept that. And we're really unlucky at the moment with some of the players that we have out injured. And I think that has obviously caused some panic among the fans. You know, Gabriel Jesus, who, you know, there's a debate around whether he's clinical enough, but we know that he brings loads to the team. I don't have a problem with Arsenal playing the rest of the season with Gabriel Jesus up front. But when you hear that he's now out with a knee injury and with a problem on the same knee that he's suffered problems with previously, it does concern you. You think, how many times are you going to break down with the same issue, with a similar issue, with a related issue? And what does that mean moving forward? So there are lots of reasons to be concerned. I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of frustrated me yesterday, um, obviously, I, I put out my podcast, my thoughts on on the Liverpool game and and around the reaction to it. And, you know, I tried to kind of, I'm not going to say I tried to defend the club because, I think there's a lot of things that I disagree with. There's a lot of decisions taken that I think you're well within your rights to question. But I also think sometimes circumstance can be the biggest killer. And there's nothing really you can do about that because you can't control it. You know, we went into the season. I'll give you left back as a prime example, right? We went into the season looking at our back line and going, we've got Zinchenko, we've got Timber, we've got Tomiyasu. And we've got Kivior as a last option at left back. Four options in that position. How many options can a manager realistically have in one position on the pitch? Yet, we're in a situation where Tommy's at the Asian Cup. Timber got an injury that kept him out for the season, which again, nobody saw coming. Zinchenko's injured again. And... Kivior's being asked to play in that position. That's the fourth choice left back, in my opinion, in this squad. So you can be, you can say that we need to have two great players in every position, but you will still have situations where you find yourself short and situations where you are thin on the ground. You look at the centre forward position, 
Now, not all of us believe that Eddie Nketiah is good enough. Mikel Arteta clearly does. Mikel Arteta rates him. Mikel Arteta sees something in Eddie Nketiah that a lot of us don't see. Fine. But his options up front going into the season were Jesus and Ketia. He would have argued that Havertz can play there, which I think he can, by the way. I've been so frustrated with some of the nonsense I've read and heard about Kai Havertz since yesterday. Um, because I think with the exception of the finishing, and I know some will argue that's the most important part. I thought he had a really good game. And if you're going to then dig him out for the finishing, then you need to... Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Dig out the others as well that spurn better opportunities. So I want the analysis to be consistent. I want the analysis to be um, fair across the board. But that's three options there. You you could even chuck Gabriel Martinelli in there. Some would like to see Leandro Trossard play as a false nine at times. So in terms of like personnel that could cover different positions, we did go into the season in better shape, but we've been decimated by injuries this season. And they're not injuries for one or two weeks. These are injuries for, you know, three, four, five, six, sometimes months at a time. And you just end up in a position where it doesn't matter how much depth you have, you will still have difficult periods because the frequency with which players are getting injured in the modern game is just scary. It really, really is. And it's not a problem just at Arsenal. Chelsea will tell you the same thing. Tottenham will tell you the same thing. Manchester United will tell you the same thing. Liverpool would have told you the same thing at various points this season. Manchester City have been without Erling Haaland and um, Kevin De Bruyne, among others. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast nowadays. Now, some of you are saying in the, um, in the chat that the fact that Mikel thinks that Eddie and Havertz are the guys is scary. Now, that's a fair opinion to have. It is a fair opinion to have. And for those of you that like, so a load of people came at me yesterday saying, whoops, nearly bloody knocked the table over. A load of people were coming at me yesterday saying that I was saying that we didn't need a striker. No, that's not true. I've been saying for a long, long time that we do need a killer striker, but that that killer striker is unlikely to come in in January. And it's more like a bit of summer business. And I've said that consistently. Is Arteta going to have changed his mind based on what we've seen in the last three matches? Maybe. Maybe he will. But that doesn't change the situation we have at the football club with the finances. That doesn't change the fact that we have to do deals in a certain way if we're going to do any deals at all at this stage. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. But just to kind of circle back and wrap up on the Onana thing, then we'll take a short pause. Then we'll just do your questions in the chat and all the rest of it. Um, is Onana coming to Arsenal? As far as I'm aware, it's not likely. Um, as far as I'm aware, no conversations have taken place between Arsenal and Everton. Perhaps there's been some conversations behind the scenes um, that have maybe found their way out 
into the world. Um, hence why we're seeing reports of Arsenal being interested again. But at this stage, is it likely that Arsenal are going to sign Amadou Anana from Everton before this window is up at the end of the month? The answer is no. OK, going to take a short pause. And when we come back, we'll dive into the chat box. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about something that happened to me yesterday that I thought was really weird. Obviously, football-related, Arsenal-related as well. Um, but I want to get you guys' thoughts and uh, and take on it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Thank you for listening as always. If you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're listening on audio, then please do uh, subscribe, leave us a review, um, all the rest of it. You, you know the drill by now. I've got to say it because if I don't, it doesn't happen. Um, but I know that it's annoying that I say it for those of you that do it as well. So apologies. Anyway, uh, let's get into uh, the live chat and see what you guys uh, are saying, because uh, there's some interesting comments coming through. So get them in and, and I'll let those accumulate for a few minutes and then we'll dive over across to that. But I just wanted to say a big thanks uh, to those of you that sort of messaged me yesterday. Um, for those of you that don't know, I went on TalkSport yesterday in the morning to speak to uh, a hero of mine, Jeff Stelling, um, brilliant broadcaster over the years, and Ali McCoist, who I absolutely love, uh, to talk about the Arsenal game. We spoke um, about Arsenal's issues at the moment. We spoke about, um, you know, what's gone wrong. And I, and I sort of, I, I went down a similar line of what I'd been saying on the podcast. Like, I'm not one that just creates opinions to try and either please people or drive clicks. Like I'll give you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion at this moment in time when it comes to Arsenal is how the hell can I sit there and berate a manager when he's putting out a team that's going out there and dominating football matches, but is just lacking that finishing touch. I, I keep saying that there's got to be some responsibility on those players. There's got to be some responsibility on those players when they find themselves in those positions to take the chances. That's what I was saying. Um, Jeff Stelling then sort of obviously took issue with what I was saying because he was, and I don't know if he knew that I could see him. And, and this this is the funny thing, right? I couldn't see Jeff Stelling and Ali McCoist on the Zoom link um, that I joined. So there's me talking away, talking, I think, reasonably and trying to be respectful, even though I massively disagreed with the stuff he was saying. And then a little bit later on in the day, TalkSport released the video. They released a video on YouTube. If you go on the YouTube channel, if you type it in, I think it's Jeff Stelling clashes with Arsenal fan um, or something like that. And the guy is like waving his arms up in the air, um, mouthing stuff when I'm speaking. I think he said bollocks or something like that when I was, when I was saying something. And I just thought, when I watched it, so I, I bear in mind, I didn't see this live at the time. When I watched it, because someone sent it to me a little bit later on saying, mate, he was so rude. I watched it and I was a bit like, Phew. I guess then, like, if if it's not someone shouting and swearing, um, you know, going, oh, uh, you know, sack Mikel Arteta, then it's not worth listening to, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just thought, like, I, I just think, you get me on to talk about Arsenal and then 
you completely dismiss what I'm saying. And I thought it was rude that he's mouthing stuff um, and all that. Maybe he forgot the cameras were on him. I don't know, throwing his head in his hands and all the rest of it. And it is one of those where you you come across someone that you think is is one of your heroes. And he's not anymore. And, you know, I respect the guy as a broadcaster. Of course I do. Um, and, you know, I thought about sort of putting something out on social media and I decided, uh, no, I won't do that. But I thought I'd say it here because over the course of the evening, as I kind of checked the comments that were coming in, it weren't just me that that thought it or noticed it. There was there was loads of people in the comments saying like, what the hell is Jeff Stelling doing sort of thing? So yeah, I mean, fine, not an issue. Like I'm not a baby. I'm not going to sit and uh, and be upset about it or anything like that, or it's not going to play on my mind, but you know, I just wanted to say thanks to those of you that messaged me about it because at the time when I was doing the interview, I never even thought about it because obviously I couldn't see him. And then I saw it after and I thought it's a bit childish in it. Um, but yeah, anyway, if, if, if that's how people sort of respect you when you go on air to talk to them, um, then, you know, I, I mean, I do a talk sport show. Um, I do it on talk sport two every Friday from three till 6 PM. I get loads of people in and loads of people on the phone that I disagree with. You will never catch me putting, throwing my head in my hands mouthing that they're talking bollocks in the middle of a show. I just think that's really, really poor, really poor form. But anyway, um, as Louis says, it's for the clicks and it's for the likes and all the rest of it. Um, we know that. that that's how you create the, the the headline of Jeff Stelling clashes with Arsenal fan. Anyway, um, but yeah, we move on. Let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts from the live chat box. There was a good question a little bit earlier on, which I hope I haven't lost. I'm just trying to scroll back and find it um bear with me one second i know we're live and it's annoying because you're listening and you're like well why the hell is this guy um scrolling through a chat this should be all sorted uh mr mute here it is he says hey harry was wanting to ask your thoughts on something about your video after the liverpool game and you talked about a backup to saka i was just wondering do you think we should have kept pepe I don't think we should have kept Pepe because I think that just the relationship between Arsenal, Arteta and Pepe was just dead. Um, you know, it wasn't ever going to go back to normal. It wasn't ever, he was never going to get a fair crack of the whip in my opinion because of the history of it. Um, I never, ever thought that Nicolas Pepe was as bad a player as people made him out to be. And I consistently said that. And I think he could have done a job on that right-hand side for us. But that's the Nicolas Pepe that we signed all those years ago. I think he's been on a steady decline ever since. And I don't have any interest really in the current iteration of Nicolas Pepe. So I don't think he would have been of help to us. I think the problem we've got is that when we've been going and bringing wingers in, and you look at the wingers that we have, they're all very, very left-sided. And and I don't mean left-footed. I mean players that do their best work from the left-hand side where they cut in. We don't really have another right-sided winger, one that wants to cut in from that side like Saka does. I kind of hoped, I have to say, that Marquinhos was going to be that when we first signed him. I know he's young. I know he was relatively unproven. But there were some really positive signs from him in the early days. And then 
he obviously never kicked on. He, he's gone out on loan to Nantes, and I think even they are trying to negotiate and broker a deal now. That means he comes back to Arsenal. Um, so that hasn't gone well. And so I don't think that's an option either, really. But the point I was making about Saka was not so much about Nicolas Pepe, but more about the fact that this is a guy that we just rely upon ever so much. And I don't know how often he can possibly be at 100% when it feels like every week we're talking about him being injured and having a kick and all the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, tough one. Tough one. Um yeah, I wouldn't have brought Nicolas Pepe back or I wouldn't have kept Nicolas Pepe. I think it's right that we moved him on and all the rest of it. Um, but I do think that is a problem position for us. I still think that we need a midfielder more than that. I still think that we need a defender more than that. And I obviously think that we need a striker more than that. But it is one of the positions on the list. And, um, you know, I think Mikel Arteta is just going to have to bite the bullet at certain points and use one of these predominantly left-sided wingers on the right, like it's, it's not ideal, but you know, and it changes the way you play because that player is probably going to then want to go on the outside because they're right footed and all of that. And that maybe impacts your playing patterns, but it needs to happen in my opinion, because you can't ask this guy to play as much as he's playing at the moment and expect him to be at a hundred percent all the time. Um, What else have we got? Uh, the DJ suites, lot, lot, lots of comments about the Jeff Sterling thing. Listen, guys, like, I don't care. Like, honestly, I don't care. Um, I'm not bothered by it in the slightest. I just was surprised by it. Um, and if I spoke to him, if I saw him tomorrow or the next day when I'm in the building, I'll go up to him and I'll say, like, what was that about? You know, I would. I'm not a baby, I'm not going to sit there and, and start like tweeting and, and throwing my toys out the pram about it and all the rest of it you're allowed to disagree with me that's not the issue I just thought the way it was done was just a little bit disrespectful but anyway um it is what it is and I don't need to say it man people have called it out already um he'll be aware of that I know that people that in the building were aware of it so that's it I don't need to do anything more but I just thought it's like I, I just think that you know in this in this space, like, yeah, everybody's entitled to an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion and that's fine. You know, I have opinions on other football clubs, but I also recognise that my opinions on other football clubs are probably not as valid because they're not as well-researched and they're not um, coming from a position of, of the same level of education. So I'm fine with that. Um, I just, I, I, it's just, you know, it's just a simple respect thing, isn't it? But it is what it is. Um, Ahmad says, "Do you what? Why do you think?" And thank you for your very kind uh, super chat as well. He says, "Why do you think Arteta hates Emil Smith Rowe so much?" I don't think he does. Um, I don't think he does. I don't think there's any dislike there. I don't think there's anything personal there. I'll tell you what I think it is. And some people will agree, some people would disagree. I think that with Emil Smith-Rowe, when Mikel Arteta first took the reins, he was a really, really important player for us. Um, you think about that season that we narrowly missed out on the top four and you go back to the first half of that season. Emil Smith-Rowe was as good as anybody. He was scoring goals. He was impacting games coming in off that left-hand side. And then the injury problems began. Now, Mikel Arteta will have watched Emil Smith-Rowe go through his rehabilitation. He'd have watched him every single day 
He'd have been around him in the gym, in the at the training ground. He, he'll know exactly, you know, what the player was putting into the recovery. Now, I'm not suggesting that Emil Smith-Rowe's not professional or wasn't giving it his absolute all. I, I don't question for a second that he wants to get back to playing regular football. But there must be something that Mikel Arteta is not totally satisfied with. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's his fitness levels. Now, I appreciate that you can only do so much on the training ground and that you need real game situations in order to build up that match fitness and match sharpness. I think that genuinely is a thing. You know, you can go out on the training ground, you can work incredibly hard, but you can't replicate the intensity that you're going to face in a Premier League match, for example. But over the last few weeks, I think there have been opportunities, yes, to use Emil Smith-Rowe. But if you're not totally convinced of his fitness, are you going to throw him in from the start? Clearly, Mikel Arteta thinks that he's only got 15 minutes at best in the tank right now. Is it a case of building it up slowly? Well, I think when your team's not performing and your team's, well, not, not performing is wrong. When your team's not producing results, I think you're well within your rights to, um, you know, to to think about these things and, and come to the conclusion of, well, I'm going to stick with the players that I trust because they're hopefully the ones that are going to get me through this. I think that, you know, you look at someone like Emil Smith-Rowe and you think, well, maybe he'd bring some fresh impetus and maybe he could make a difference. And perhaps he could, but he's fallen down the pecking order because he's been out for so long. And he has got to do enough in training and in the short cameo appearances that he gets to convince Mikel Arteta that he's back in the reckoning and he's someone that should be considered um, as one of the go-tos. I can only assume that he hasn't done enough. I can only assume that there's something about him that Mikel Arteta isn't totally satisfied. And I, I get annoyed when fans go, oh my God, it's a disgrace that he's not playing. I can't say it's a disgrace that he's not playing. I also can't say that it's fair that he's not playing because the truth is we don't know. We don't know the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes with Emil uh, Smith Rowe. We don't know if it's a um, if it's a, uh, a fitness thing. We don't know if it's an attitude thing. We don't know what it is, and that's why I'm trying um, to to sort of stay calm on it because it's difficult from our position to to have a real educated opinion on that matter. I think he is one that will probably be moved on in the summer, though. Um, that I'll say that. Um, Gary Griffin says, Harry, don't you think it's slightly ironic that so many fans wanted Jacker out for years and now he's gone. People are complaining that he's left. Uh, I always said, be careful what you wish for. Oh, mate. If you saw some of the battles that I had on podcasts, on social media, defending Granite Xhaka, um during the course of the last few years, you know, there's a there's a tiny part of me that looks at it and thinks a load of those fans out there that are now crying for him you're just you're just a load of hypocrites you are just a load of hypocrites um you know people that i had major debates with and arguments with and clashes with are now sitting there tweeting about granite Xhaka and how we miss him you said he was the worst midfielder in the league three seasons ago you didn't want to know him two seasons ago you said that we desperately needed to upgrade on him. And now all of a sudden he's the crux of all of Arsenal's problems. Nah, not having it. Not having it. Um, Granit Xhaka, 
was great last season. He was good the season before. Um, he was solid for a number of seasons and was often the scapegoat. And the problem is that when one scapegoat goes, those types of people, they need to find another one. And they found another one in Kai Havertz. Because, you know, Kai Havertz has scored more goals this season than some of their heroes. Yet they would never dare criticise them or call them out for poor finishing. Yet the minute Kai Havertz misses a chance, it's a big breaking news story. So, yeah, I think uh, you're right. It is slightly ironic. Right, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, need to dash. We've got a special 90 min show uh, coming up in a little while. Um, yeah, we don't normally do them on Tuesdays, but as it's the transfer window, we're going to bring you a little bit more content. So if you're interested in that, go over to the 90 min channel. Thanks for all listening. Um, thanks for tuning in. Really enjoyed the conversation as always. Um, Amadou Anana, is it happening? I don't think so. Can Arsenal afford him? I'm not sure. Um, I think they'd have to get creative. Is that possible because of Everton's situation? Maybe. But is this a deal that is imminent? Not to my knowledge. So uh, don't get too carried away with this one. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And we'll be back very, very soon with more right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Until the next time, take care. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.